Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's wonderful to be together again and to welcome you to our program. We have a full panel today, which I would like to welcome each one of you. It's good to see you here. Ken. Thank you, Nick. Wonderful to be here again. Denise, it's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's wonderful to be here. Len, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hello, listeners. Might you receive a blessing today from this study? Jedi, thank you for joining. Lovely to be here again. Lija, welcome back after a while. Yes, thank you. Praise God for this, for this special privilege. Brenton, it's good to have you with us too. Thank you, Nick. This is going to be a really enjoyable study. And Will, thank you so much for um, putting together this program for today. And uh, you are going to uh, just facilitate this discussion today. Uh, thank you for joining. Thank you very much, Nick. In preparing these uh, lessons and studies, um, we find that it's good for ourselves as well. Yeah, that's what I thought just... Uh, a bit earlier that uh, as we go through these um, uh, topics, it's reminded again to each one of us how important it is to manage for the master, you know, managing for the master until he comes. Sure. And uh, he's coming, it's, it's soon, uh, by all the signs, you know, as we see um, today. But today I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, offerings for Jesus. Will, would you like to take us through, please? Most certainly. Last week, we spent time uh, looking at the biblical principle of the tithing process. And uh, besides tithing, that uh, tenth of our money, uh, God has instituted other offerings these offerings come from what remains in our possession after our tithe is returned to God. I believe this is where generosity begins. The tithe wasn't ours in the first place. The scriptures offer <clears throat> various offerings given by God's, for God's people, and I can list four. Sin offerings, those given in response to God's grace. Another offering in the sanctuary service was thank offerings. Of course, those are given to recognize God's protection, blessings of health, prosperity, and sustaining power. Then there were offerings for the poor, bringing relief to the needy in our society. And then there were offerings dedicated to the house of worship. Those were appropriated to building and maintaining God's house. Now, the focus of our study today is to look inwardly and probe the question that's written in the Psalms or question that's opposed by the Psalms. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? That's Psalm 116, verse 12. But I think first, let's pray. Could you open with prayer for us, Lydia, please? Sure. Our gracious Heavenly Father, 
We are coming before you now to bring you honor and glory and praise. For you are our loving Father, our King, the Lord of the Lords and the King of Kings, your Royal Highness, our Savior and Redeemer through Jesus. Father, glory and honor to you. Please receive us as we are now. Forgive our sins. Please search our hearts and rebuke when necessary. Father, we invite you to remain with your holy presence as we are discussing today about expressing our love to you by showing generosity, gratitude, and duty to our deeds. Thank you, Father, for such a privilege as a sign of commitment, faith, and obedience. Please, Father, guide us, lead us, direct us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen. Thank you, Lydia. You know, when we consider the magnitude of God's gifts to us, and uh, we look at what he has done for us, we begin to realize that we are given the privileged responsibility of sharing the benefits of his love that we receive with others. So what is it that we possess that we could impart to others, Ledger? To our weakness towards those who are around us, talents, gifts of care and nurture, also financial assistance, our time as we spend time with other people and energy. So we offer God many other things besides what comes from our finances. But our focus today is our monetary investment in the work of God. The church, whether it be local or conference or worldwide, is the uh, main recipient to use our gifts to advance the cause of God. So what underlying motivation prompts our willingness to bring offerings to the Lord? We, we're looking today at, at motivation for giving. So let me ask that question again. What underlying motivation prompts our willingness to bring offerings to the Lord? Denise? Well, in past lessons where we looked at the fact that God gives us everything that we have. And so because of that, um, there's a sense of gratitude that we have to God, not only for what he has given us, but for the amazing gift of Jesus and his salvation and the blessings that God gives to us each day. And so we respond by um, giving our offerings generously. And in First John 4 and verse 19, it says, We love because he first loved us. But also in First John 4 verse 10, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So this sense of gratitude is important. So is God dependent on our offerings? We're told the Lord does not need our offerings. We cannot enrich him by our gifts. The psalmist says, all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Yet God permits us to show our appreciation of his mercies by self-sacrificing efforts to extend the same to others. 
This is the only way in which it is possible for us to reveal our gratitude and love to God. He has provided no other. Mm. So we've heard we cannot outgive God. He owns everything. So why should we give? We give because it benefits us personally. Oh, interesting. Len, Denise has proposed that there is a benefit to us by surrendering what we could have used for ourselves, but rather bring it to the Lord to use. Could you expand on this uh, principle for us? Yes. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, as Denise has already alluded to, is that everything that we have is really a gift from God. And 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And then here's here's the crunch. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And I look at it like this. I can talk, I can see, I can move. But if God chose to uh, change me in such a way or restrict me, uh, I couldn't do anything about it. If he t- takes my life from me or my, bil- my mobility or whatever it is, I can do what I do because it's granted to me from God. And I think our possessions, including our money, is also a gift from God in a certain way. Our time is a gift from God. If God chooses, uh, we might be struck down and not able to use those things. But there's some other benefit, and this some of you listeners might find this rather strange. You know, there's always a temptation with money to get more, 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 and to do with it what you like. In fact, the old saying about uh, the love of money is the root of all, all evil, and it is so true. Much crime is committed because people want money. They love money, and people have got lots of money, want more and more and more. There's uh, a benefit in being able to give, it removes from us that selfishness of having money for ourselves, doing only what we want. I think it uh, helps us grow as human beings. So there's a real benefit, being able to share in whichever way is good for us we, we just don't become totally consumed with our own interests. And there's another benefit. As we obey God and as we share, God, God blesses us. I'm sure of that. In my own life, uh, I could have done all sorts of things, but in being able to share, I think has made me a better person. Now, I'm not bragging here. Don't get the idea. But when we're so full of our own selves and our own interests, we become not well adjusted, I think. But being able to share is a good thing. So making offerings is just another way of spreading out the money that we have that the good Lord has allowed us to have. 
just to continue from their uh, Len, I believe a very important point is to realize the motivation. You know, there are uh, many of us, many people who uh, give from a different motivation and sometimes can be even from a selfish motivation. People give to charities. People uh, give their money because they want to put their name even more up in the profile. It's very important to realize that, the motivation. And we are talking today offerings for Jesus. And we're just discussing this. Does Jesus need our money? Of course not. But Jesus said that, that every time when we take care of one of his children, we give to him. And the motivation, the motivation is very important to know when we give, to feel that family connection. We, we live in a very individualistic world where, you know, things come up so easily in regard to me, me, me. But I would love to see um, through this discussion that we really get the point here. Yeah. We don't give just because uh, God even asked us to give. We give because we care, because we feel with uh, the need. Yes. Talking about generosity, I do remember a sad experience years ago when I was doing um, the shopping groceries I was paying uh, by cash so I was short only five cents and I could not pay five cents by card and I didn't have five cents and the the cashier couldn't go couldn't process you know the payment through because I didn't have five cents and I, I asked the the uh, following person behind me if I can have five cents because I could not do it uh, and the person looked at me and he, he, I, I can't remember if it, it was a male or a female, but he's, he said no. And I was struck. I was struck by that because many times I could see money on the ground, like five cents, ten cents. I've never been down to pick them up because I said, oh, well, five cents, ten cents, they're not important. But when this person said to me, no, sorry, I'm not giving to you five cents, I was, I, I was so disappointed. And, uh, because many times I, I gave freely, even I remember I bought to some students some meals because they were there and they were short of money and I gave them a big amount of money. I didn't care. I just gave it. And, but this experience with five cents is, it stays with me. Uh, so generosity is very important because makes you not to love money, but the money, the consider money that just something that needs you to, 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 to live. Yes. I wanted to say before and something I'd forgotten to say. Have you ever been to a birthday party, been invited to a birthday party and you arrived without a gift? For the person who's celebrating their birthday, how did you feel? Terrible. Well, I've I've <laughs> had this uh, sort of thing happen, and you feel absolutely rotten. So, in order to feel right, I should say, 
we need to be able to share and give at a birthday party. And I think the same applies in our Christian life that we need to share in order to feel right. If I go to church and I don't have an offering to give, it's it's wrong. It feels strange for me. Yes. Well, let me ask, is it possible to give to the cause of God unwillingly with incorrect motives? Do you want to comment on that, Ken? Yes, this is a, an interesting one. And yes, it is absolutely possible to uh, give to the cause unwillingly. And of course, I think this, this is a human trait. I believe it goes back to the early days. It's nothing new. We feel sometimes if we have to do this to be seen with others or for some other reason, but it's not really in our heart. Now, if someone mentioned, you know, Nick mentioned that we give willingly to help others. Uh, that's our nature. And, uh, I believe most of us definitely give in, in different ways, not because we have to, not because we need to, but because we want to. We want to help others in some other way. I often feel as I, I look around this world, there's many people in difficult circumstances, and the thought that often comes into my head is, there goes I, but for the grace of God. And it's good to see organizations helping these people. When these organizations get their, their funds generally from uh, people with good hearts. So coming back exactly to what you said, yes, we can give unwittingly, which is not the right thing to do. Now, even though the means thus consecrated being supplied, so that it does not accomplish the object which the donor had in view, the glory of God and the salvation of souls, those who made the sacrifice in sincerity of soul, with an eye single to the glory of God, will not lose their reward. Now there's an interesting passage in Second Corinthians 9 and verses 6 to 7. But this I say, he that soweth sparingly, shall also reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I'd like to add this also that I also believe part of the reason that God wants us to give it's also a training of our mind and soul because he is teaching us what his nature is, and that is to give freely to others. And I believe this is part of the reason also, well, because God is looking to train those people that are fit for heaven. So what portion do you give for offerings? That That is a question that I've started to ask myself. I hadn't really given it all that much thought, um, uh, Ken. But um, yeah, I don't know about the rest of the panel. We we uh, we understand the principle of tithing very clearly and easily because it's so clearly defined, ten percent. Um, but there's more to it than that. I, I'm just reminded also of a verse that we've 
referred to in previous lessons from Malachi where it says, uh, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And then the answer comes in tithes and offerings. So you can actually rob God in offerings as well. But um, so what is the criterion? And I think God gives that. The criterion that God gives us as the basis for the amount of our offerings is expressed in Deuteronomy 16, verse 17, where it says, and I quote, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he gives you. So what shall I render to the Lord? Psalm 116, verse 12, for all his benefits towards us. Now, we've touched on that. We've looked at... um, what blessings does the Lord give us? Well, everything, basically. And how do you break that down? Um, our talents, our gifts, our time, uh, our financial means, and so forth, our energy. Can I give an example? Uh, if, if God has blessed you with success in business, say you run a business, and and you're able to make a whole lot of money, Shouldn't it be your delight and not just your duty to give generously to the Lord in support of the gospel proclamation? Now, what did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What if you don't have a lot of money, but you do have plenty of time? Wouldn't you be able to find an activity where you can serve the Lord in, in practical ways? And we've touched on that before as well. So, yeah, giving as you are able, as you are able. And I guess there's no hard and fast rule that uh, specifies precisely uh, what that level of commitment is. But I'm sure if you if you love the Lord, and uh, as Denise alluded to before, um, you know we owe everything to God, everything. So it shouldn't be too hard to find ways in which you can return some form of offering to the Lord. That's true, Jerry. Uh, Brendan. Can I um, just put something different in here in our discussion time? Is it wrong to challenge people? Um, we've talked about we should give according to our ability, but is it wrong to challenge people to actually give a specific amount? Let me use an example that uh, is very familiar to me. A number of years ago, we were planning to go to a place called Moldova, uh, I went with a minister friend of mine and also a fellow church member from the church that I attended in Adelaide City here. And we were actually challenged as a church to give $100 each. Now, I'm talking 1995-1996. I'm also talking a church that had young people in it, it had older people in it, it had pensioners in it. Now, $100 for those of us who were earning money at that time was a reasonable amount of money, but for someone who was a pensioner or someone something like that, uh, that would probably be a fairly significant amount of money. But each person, men, women and children, were challenged to give $100. And on the day that we took up the offering, we took up $12,500 from one church with less than 150 people in it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm simply putting it out there and saying, well, Maybe there is a place for that because I remember when I went to Moldova and part of the money that we collected that day together with other donations was all added together into an overall fund. 
I remember going to a school in the capital city where one of the students, um, and remember this is only four or five years after communism has fallen, uh, one of the students asked me, Mr. Wilkinson, why did you come to our country? And I said, we didn't come to your country for a holiday. We came to your country to tell you that there is a God in heaven who loves you. I said, under communism, you were told there is no God. and They were all nodding their heads. I said, I'm here to tell you that there is a God in heaven. He loves you. And he died. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross in order that you may have eternal life. I have never seen a group of students, and I'm not talking seven or eight-year-olds, I'm talking 16 or 17-year-olds, most of them were crying. They had tears streaming down their cheeks. And I thought to myself at that point, the giving that we gave back in Australia and elsewhere was well worth it. I think, yes, the answer is very clear there, Brenton. One, one gives from one's heart when you believe that the Lord has blessed you. But sometimes there is a, there's a program, there is a need that uh, you respond to. And sometimes we have to give a lot more generously to fulfill that need. Nick. I was just going to say that we learned uh, just in a previous uh, Bible study about tithing. And uh, yeah, that was precisely, you know, a 10% um, from our income. But, you know, um, it's interesting that because we're talking about offerings, and in this case, Brenton mentioning that experience, again, as a family, as we feel for each other, we will not just give, um, you know, from a duty kind of uh, perspective, but we give in accordance with the need. Now, the problem is, do we see the need? Because if we see the need, that will not question how much we need to give. We'll just realize that what I have and how can I contribute and with how much. That's, a, again, a personal attitude, but it will be, if you like, in the context of the family unit. I really like to emphasize this because we live in a very dysfunctional <laughs> world. And um, I probably will say dysfunctional family. And it will be important to, to come back uh, to the ideal situation, if possible. I would like to mention um, that it just came in my mind an experience that uh, I witnessed uh, as a child. Um, this happened in year... Um, in 70s, uh, in my city in Romania, they built a new church and uh, there was an hour of business uh, in one night of uh, in, in weekly evenings and the members of the church uh, came together to sort out the financial um, money to build a church and to buy uh, all the necessary things. And they were asked if to donate. And people were donating ex exceedingly. I was struck as a child because um, not many people were uh, business people uh, or, or earning big amount of uh, salaries. But people were pouring in, starting with 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. And my father 
put his hand up and as a child I was like, wow, hey, father, where, do, where from do we have so much money? Of course, as children, we didn't know. But uh, people were pouring in money and money, big amounts of money for the cause of God. Certainly. Yeah, we'll probably talk a little bit more about the big giving in a moment. But perhaps I could ask the question, and I want to address this to Ken if I can. Could we ever repay God for all his blessings to us, Ken? Well, well, I think the simple answer there is absolutely not. Uh, it's just impossible for us to even begin to repay God uh, that way because the blessings he gives us every day is way beyond our understanding. It seems that the best we can do is to be generous with the cause of God and then helping our fellow human beings. Uh, when Jesus sent out his disciples on a missionary trip, he told them, really you have received, really give. Matthew came in verse 8. Our offerings contribute to the development of a Christ-like character, which I mentioned earlier on. We are there, thereby changed from selfishness to love, and we are to be as concerned for others and the cause of God as Christ was. And let us always remember, again, we have spoken about this, God so loved that he gave God's favours. So in contrast, as sure as night follows day, the more we hoard for ourselves, the more selfish in our own hearts we will become, and the more miserable we will feel as well. There is nothing, I believe it comes back to the old thing that often if you help somebody in some way or other, you have a blessing of it yourself, and you feel really, really good, even though it's the other person that has benefited. That's true. I think it's got moral and spiritual implications as well, uh, Will, to be honest. Um, it's not just the spiritual damage that it can do to us, I think, but um, or the amount that we give. I, I think it's the motivation behind it, as um, we have touched on, and some, some others have already said it, but it's worth repeating. Matthew 6, 3 and 4 makes some very interesting comments. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this, well, I'm going to actually start at verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Uh, there's a principle there. Um, I know we're talking about offerings, and I believe the same principle applies to charitable giving will. I believe that uh, when you put your offering in the offering bag on Sabbath morning, I know myself on occasion, and I can only speak for myself, you put your offering in the, in the offering bag and... Um, I have had on occasion, because I've been giving a significant amount of money, it's almost as though the person who's taking up the offering goes, oh, what? <laughs> and I, I think it's it's just a good thing to do your good deeds in, in secret. While I was thinking of that, I was also thinking of what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, where he said, 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Glorify your Father in heaven. It almost seems like a conundrum there, but I don't think it is really. I think he's talking about the uh, the motivation that we do. Even the best kept gifts and that sort of thing that are given to church, whether they be in offering form, in donation form or in bequest form, inevitably there comes a point where people work out what has happened and who uh, who has done what, or they start to work out those things. So leave it with the Lord, give it from a generous heart, give it gladly, give as you can afford to give, and just be thankful that Lord, the Lord has given you the means to be able to return that back to him. Oh, yes. Well, let's look at our offerings in the context of our worship formalities. From Bible history, we can conclude that uh, there are at least four intended components for a worship service. Do you want to talk about this for us, Len? Yes. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 16, this is how, this is the instruction the Lord gave to the people. He said, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, which uh, we could also say was Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And then comes the crunch. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. So what are the aspects of worship? Well, there's study and preaching, learning from the word of God, there's prayer, there's music, and another interesting one is there is giving. In fact, as I just read there before, no man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. So giving is an act of worship. I want to tell you a little story. I have a good friend who was working in the same area as I was, was earning a good salary, and we were talking about giving. He went to a different church. I won't name the church in case anybody thinks I'm criticising, which is not the case. And uh, my friend was telling me, you know, we need some repairs done on our church. And the minister asked us, to give $2 a week each. And then what he said next surprised me. He said the cheek of him to ask $2 a week each. Now, $2 these days is hardly anything. And uh, I was very surprised at my friend because he thought that was an imposition. However, the Lord says, don't appear empty-handed. I want to just share something else. It comes from 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. It says, little children, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, little children, let us not love merely in theory, with word or tongue, giving lip service, but in action and in truth because the acts of love mean more than just words. 
And so really, you can see from this that it's important to actually do something in order to show what we feel for the Lord inside. And giving is something practical, which we can all do. The Apostle Peter, sorry, the Apostle James, in James chapter 2, engaged in some discussion about faith. Some people apparently said, I've got faith. And other people did something about their faith. They demonstrated in James chapter 2, verses 18 and, yes, verse 18, James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So what I'm really getting at here is that giving is an act of worship, just talking, singing, whatever it is. There's no real commitment there. But when you have to put your hand in your pocket or your purse or whatever, and bring out money, that is an act which demonstrates what's going inside, going on inside of us. It's part of our commitment, I think, to the Lord to be able to give something of something from free will for the benefit of others and particularly in the church because the church is organized in order to help those who are less fortunate. So I've said it before and I want to say it again. Giving is an act of worship. Well, I think there's, uh, Len mentioned four aspects of worship. I, can I suggest to you that uh, I could think of another one that maybe wasn't included in those four, although it may overlap, I'm not sure. I reckon uh, one of the aspects of worship that we neglect to a significant degree, is the act of witnessing. In other words, or testimonies. If you want to use the word testimonies, that might be a better one. We have those various other components of worship that Lena's mentioned, but sometimes we don't give people an opportunity to thank the Lord for his goodness to them. Uh, in the Jewish um, environment, in a synagogue, they would read the word of God and after the word of God was read, there would actually be at the end of the service, there would be a time for questions or comments or whatever. We don't adopt that in our, in our churches by and large. But I think that um, at the conclusion of a message from the word of God or um, that your heart's been touched, I believe it would be appropriate, certainly at times, maybe not every week, but certainly at times for testimonies, as to how God has blessed you as a result of the study today or uh, what uh, has happened during the week. Too often, I think we neglect that opportunity in a formalised um, worship setting to share what God's goodness has meant to us personally. Because in doing that, you're not blowing your own bags, but what you're actually doing in sharing what God has done for you, it also encourages others who perhaps haven't thought about it or haven't done it to do it themselves. You will find where testimonies are shared that there comes a time where those who normally don't speak up will start to begin to share what God has done for them. Mm. And I think that's an important aspect of worship that we shouldn't overlook. Yes, I agree with you, Brenton. 
However, we're talking about uh, giving offerings today. Sure. And I think there's something a little different with giving is is a real act. It's more than just words. Mm. It costs you something. Yes. And that's why I believe it's important. We were talking about the love of money before and how that affects person. In order be, being able to give is good for us in the sense that we're not full of ourselves all the time and we're prepared to acknowledge that God has first given us the means of giving to others. So giving is an act of worship. Testimonies can also be an act of worship. But I think giving has a different aspect to it than just praying, singing, testimonies, whatever. Sure. You know, I'd like to just address the matter of God taking note of our offerings. And there's a touching scene in the temple described by the Gospel of Mark. Um, Denise, do you want to share with us what that account really says? Yes, Will. Um, It's found in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, and I'm just going to summarise it. Jesus and his disciples were in the temple courtyard where the treasury chests were located, and he watched those who were bringing their offerings. And there were people, rich people, who threw in large amounts. So you get the sense that it was very obvious what they were giving. And then you have a widow, a poor widow, it says, who came in with two very small copper coins. They were the smallest coins in circulation then in Palestine. And she put these coins into the the treasury chest. And Jesus uh, indicated that she'd put in all that she had. And there's something that I'd like to read here. It says, but Jesus understood her motive. She believed the service of the temple to be of God's appointment and she was anxious to do her utmost to sustain it. She did what she could and her act was to be a monument to her memory through all time and her joy in eternity. Her heart went with her gift. Its value was estimated not by the worth of the coin but by the love to God and the interest in his work that had prompted the deed. And the final verse of that says that the uh, the rich people gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. Nick? Just to add on uh, that passage which um, uh, Denise just shared, and I don't want to open a can of worms here, but I just want to say this. You know how the Bible says... Uh, not to be worried about tomorrow, but to trust in God, you know, today. And that widow, I believe, was experiencing that thing when she gave what she had. Now, we live in a society when we plan for the rest of our life. You know, we plan for our retirement. We plan for everything, for everything. Um, I don't know what's uh, dangerous here or not, but I'm just saying that we should trust in God more and still plan those yes. things. And when it's needed, give generously. Don't just say, oh, but if I'll give now, I'll be short of this amount on my uh, retirement. I'll be short on this much on my even mortgage. 
or something else. You see, we plan everything for ourselves. And that's why we became selfish and we became very individualistic. I believe it's a good lesson to learn from this lady. Great. I uh, have met a couple of people in my life who spent their the, the majority of their working life in the mission fields. They had not planned to um, for their retirement, and they found retirement very difficult. In fact, one of them lives not very far from where we live, lives in a rented home because they committed themselves as missionaries and didn't do any planning. Now, I'm not speaking against what you're saying, Nick, but I think it's important to use a level head sure. in, in everything as far as giving is concerned and uh, about planning our lives. I realise what Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, trust in God. Uh, but at the same time, we're admonished to use the talents that not, that, that does not include only physical things, but the intellect that the Lord has given us to make proper plans. Uh, I can see it this way. A person might um, give pretty much everything they have, which is only a little bit, if, on the other hand, they had planned their lives better and were able to earn a lot more money, they could give a lot more money in the long run. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to be a little bit cautious in being too presumptive about this sort of issue. All right. Well, that's only a word of caution. But. Yep. Yeah, Len, just on that one, because you, as I said, I didn't want to open the can of words, but you know what? I believe in that story. It proves again that those people who give themselves to the Lord and they plan to do the best they can to serve the Lord, they probably also uh, miss out on the fact that the family is dysfunctional. Because when you have a dysfunctional family, then you plan to get out of the, some bad situations. But that's where we have a play because I'm very disappointed that people like ourselves who, who surrounded do, that couple, they didn't see the need. That's, you know, that's what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to get at that we see the need and should not be people who lack what they need in our family, in our community, if you like, because we'll see the need. The problem is that we don't care about the need of others. Mm. Mm. Well, the Lord will have to be the after preacher on that one, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jerry, we read of a Roman centurion who received a visit from a heavenly messenger. And there were some very interesting things that the angels angel had to say to him. Would you like to just comment on that? Yes, uh, Will, I'll just read um, from Acts chapter 10, the first four verses. And it says there, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people 
and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God. Now that's an astonishing thing for me. When I read that again, I thought, well, first of all, here's a, a Roman centurion. And normally speaking, the Romans weren't God-fearing people. They normally wouldn't have worshipped the God of Israel. They, they were, for the most part, I guess you could say pagans. But here is a man in authority as a centurion. He would have had the command of at least a 100 men. And it says there that not only he, but his whole household feared God. And he didn't just pray, but he put his faith into action. He, he gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So um, those two things really stand out for me. And, and also that our prayers and our offerings, or our alms, as it says here, have come up for a memorial before God. God sees how we live life and how we love him in practical ways, not just by what we say, but by what we do. And I think that's that's really important. So the heart of Cornelius followed his gifts. He was ready to learn more about Jesus. Prayer and almsgiving are closely linked and demonstrate our love to God and our fellow men, the two great principles of God's law. Remember that says there, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's from Luke chapter 10, verse 27. So the first, where we talked about loving the Lord with all our heart and soul and strength and mind, is revealed in prayer, whereas the second, loving your neighbor as yourself, is revealed in, in giving, giving our offerings in practical ways. Yes. Jerry, you know, it's true that... Uh that God sees everything that we do. And he even sees the motive behind our giving. And he follows it very closely. You know, when Brenton was talking about the Moldova experience and the church that uh, gave um, quite a considerable amount of money, it reminded me that perhaps every Christian is confronted at times with a conviction to give big. One feels inspired to really make a difference during an appeal for the uplift of people, programs in need, or in this case, um, people that do not know the Savior. And, you know, there's a deep satisfaction knowing that your sacrificial contribution has such significant results. And I think, as we have said, it's healthy for the soul too. The, the Bible actually gives several examples of uh, this type of uh, commitment. And, panel, I want to just ask you, can you think of some big commitments people made that are mentioned in the Scriptures? Yes. Um, well, one of them was uh, Mary and the expensive gift um, that she, a uh, perfumed spikenard that she poured on uh, Jesus' feet and 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 uh, anointed his body uh, before he died on the cross. And she was criticized for that gift. 
Yes, it cost a considerable amount of money too. And some people even said, this is an absolute waste. But uh, God didn't think so. Brenton, you had a... There's a couple of aspects here. Number one, her motive for giving is being judged. Remember that um, the Simon, whose house this um, feast was being held at, Simon actually said if you knew, said within himself, if you knew who it is that does this for you, you can't be much of a prophet. Now, Mary gave 300, um, what, denarii, was the equivalent of one year's wages. So she gave because she greatly appreciated what God had done for her. But her motives were judged. And John is the only one who actually mentions it that it was Judas who actually was the leader in criticising her for giving this gift. Remember, it's Passover, and they used to give gifts to the poor at Passover time. So this gift of hers was a very generous gift, and Christ accepted it as such. Remember, he made the comment, the poor you will always have with you, but you'll not always have me with you. It was given with pure motives for your pure purpose to show her love for Jesus for what he'd done for her. I think if we take nothing else out of our study today, the motive that we have studied so far is the very important issue. What is our motive for giving? Because God understands the motive, whereas others don't always do so. Another example is of Barnabas, about whom the Bible says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Yes. He gave away a field, and he gave all the proceeds to the work of the Lord, it says, and he, he put the money at the apostles' feet. I just wanted to add to that uh, the story in Second Corinthians, verse 8, uh, and this is the story of the Macedonian church. They were very, very poor people. Uh, it was a poor region that they were involved in, but yet... The Bible tells us that these people, these brothers and sisters, give really way above what um, anyone would expect them to give because they had, they had joy and love in their hearts. Yes, there's a great insight in a document that was written 150 years ago that I believe is uh, worth sharing. In conclusion today, uh, Brenton, I've actually asked you if you could extract from that statement. Basically, the statement will says something along these lines, that the recording angel who records these things is actually, he notes what is put into the treasury and the eye of God actually notes everything that is actually given and the motivation for giving it. And I found the statement interesting in the sense that it uses the term, the eye of God takes cognizance of every sent devoted to his cause and of the willingness or reluctance of the giver. The motive in giving is also chronicled. Um, that I found that very, very interesting. And I guess in closing, I would say this. One of the texts that we didn't read today, um, we touched on it, we alluded to it, but we didn't actually read it, is the statement in Second Corinthians, I think Ken may have had it, where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. And I guess the appeal that I would make today to 
our uh, those who are listening is that give because God wants you to demonstrate your willingness to give everything for him. He doesn't ask you to give all your money or all your time, but he does ask you to put that first. And I think that's um, the very important um, comment there. Father in heaven, God does love a cheerful giver, and we thank you for willing hearts, not only for ourselves as a panel, but we thank you, Lord, for those who, who are listening to this program today. We thank you that you have placed within us a desire to worship. We've touched on aspects today of what worship constitutes. Worship constitutes the giving of tithes and offerings and the motivation behind it. Lord, if we stopped and thought about all the needs that our church has in reaching the people of Australia with the gift of Jesus Christ, the gospel, I pray that you'll place within us, not only those of us on the panel, but those who are listening to this program today, please, Lord, place within us a desire to give and give willingly and liberally in order that the people of Australia may know that Jesus is coming again soon and uh, that he wants them to be ready to meet him. Lord, may our hearts overflow with gratitude for all your goodness to us. And may we have the opportunity today to share that with someone else. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for uh, your share today, for your participation. Uh, A very interesting topic. And when we talk about money, uh, it's not always uh, easy one. Uh, now, you may think, my dear friend listening today, that um, you are struggling with things or you may even have some uh, uh, debts. I'll invite you to join us next time when we are going to deal with debts. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk with Jesus and a cheerful heart to give.